All right, this is a sacred time together to preach the word to you. This is that one time in your week where you take your cell phone and you make it silent and you put it away so that you can hear these words for this time that we have together and be loving to the person that is next to you. My job is to take the words that you just heard read to you and press them into your soul the best that I can. One of our aims at our church is to preach the whole counsel of God to you. Um, Another way to say that is that we want to hit you with the gospel and all of its implications for your life. Sometimes that means we will stand up here and we will preach to you on one of those implications of the gospel. So we did that last week and we said, hey, the gospel's true, therefore, you will handle your money differently. And I hope that this week you found yourself giving more freely and cheerfully than you ever have before. That's an implication of the gospel. Sometimes it means that we just preach to you on the essence of the gospel itself. And the only application is believe that, marvel at that, wonder at that with us. So sometimes implications, sometimes essence. Today is one of those essence of the gospel Sundays. So we're doing some theology, but not the kind that's boring, the kind that sets your soul on fire. Let's pray together and ask for God's grace. Father, truth is like kindling logs for our soul, and when they get It gets put on there, just worship flames up. So I pray that today for my brothers and sisters in this room, we would see truth and our souls would be set on fire for the grace of God in the gospel. Would you meet us in this time as you promised to, through your word, by your spirit? I pray, please answer, amen. All right, let me start here with this big idea. This house is not working. In 2001, Grace and I were living in a third-floor apartment in Revere, Beachmont, by the train station, and this totally surprising call to plant a church came out of left field. You know, left field is over there, and out of there came this surprising, oh man, we're going to be planting a church together. The church originally was in Malden, so we prayed and said, Lord, we want to give ourselves to this mission and to you long-term. Will you give us a place to live? And we'll go to Malden or Melrose or Medford. Any of those three would be fine. We had a price range. You know how that works? We looked at a dozen or more houses and just didn't find anything. And then one day we pulled up to this house on the southern edge of Melrose, the Malden-Melrose border. And uh, no real estate agent, no key to the house. We must have been breaking some kind of trespassing rules or something. We snuck up to the house, and Grace walked a circle around the house, peered into some windows, and then came down to the front and said, this is the one. She love it when a woman is just decisive like that. She's just like, I know this is right. So uh, on that Friday, we uh, haunted the real estate agent place because it was under contract, and then the people before us, the financing fell through. So they kind of walked out of the office, and we kind of ran into the office and just signed whatever they put in front of us and said, we'll take it. It was a good 
house. It was a good house, but it was really small. I think around 1,100 square feet, two bedrooms, and three total closets in the whole house. You know those houses where you walk into the house and you're in the house. That, that's what this one was like. And it was a good thing, a good house. Then something happened with us. Our family began to grow. We changed. And we moved from two to three to four to five to six of us. Uh, and they didn't stay little. You know how that happens with kids? They all started getting bigger, arms and legs. And we hit this point where we realized this house is not working for this family. The house was fine, but our family had become a problem. Now, you can judge us if you want to, and I know that people in other generations lived in smaller houses, and some of you are going to be in smaller houses long term. But we set our hearts for the long-term future to rework this house. So we moved back to Everett, where I grew up. We lived over by Glendale Park for three months in an apartment, and the contractor went to work changing the house, basically making it a new one. We came back in June 2011, and I remember thinking, this is so cool. This new house is going to work for this family. Now, whenever someone is new to the church, new to Seven Mile Road, we'll always have them over just to meet them and get to know them. And I always end up having the same conversation with them. I end up standing in the living room and beginning to tell them how awesome this house is. And the way that I always do it is by talking about how it's better than the old house. So I'll say things like, it used to end right there. But now we can actually have more than six people in the dining room. And there used to be two bedrooms, but now there's three. Grace and I, the boys, the girls. And there used to be two closets, but now there's seven. <laughs> and the washer-dryer came from the dungeon pit in the basement where you didn't know what monster was going to grab you to the second floor. And there's a fireplace now. Do you feel that? In other words, I say... The first house was good, but we, we had a problem, and so we needed a, a different house if we were going to thrive, and somehow, by God's grace, we got it. Does everyone feel that? That is the same exact conversation that the Spirit in these words of Scripture has with you today. You find yourself standing in the middle of this new covenant or like smack in the middle of gospel, but to really appreciate it, the awesomeness of what you have been invited into, you have to hear about the older covenant that came before it and see the specific places where this gospel thing is so much better than what preceded it. Now, in a sense, that's the big idea of your whole book of Hebrews in your Bible. That's the whole thing. Jesus is better than the types and the shadows that preceded him. Chapter 8 is specifically about how his covenant is better. So all I'm going to do with you is work those words and get them in your soul. Here's the first verse. Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since this one is enacted 
on better promises. All right, just before this, you had Jesus presented to you as a super priest, capital S, way better ministry than the priests that came before him. Any Jew hearing that would have immediately said, well, if you have a new priest, you must have a new covenant that the priest is meeting it, mediating. And the writer goes, exactly right. There's a new covenant too. Jesus mediates a new covenant. All right, the word covenant scares you, right? Because you're 2018 Bostonians like me, you're like, what is that? Just think in terms of a way of relating to someone. This is the way that God relates with you. Or uh, our being in relationship with God. This is like the terms around what it looks like for us to be together. Uh, Don't worry about the heat. It's about to kick back on. You're going to hear some banging, and then we'll be toasty in 10 minutes. Covenant is how God works with a people. And Jesus says through these words, there's a whole new way of God relating to us that has come in Christ. And then he says this in verse 7. If that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second one. Have you ever had an experience where they changed something on you and it was fine the way that it was? They fixed something that wasn't broken. And the fix didn't make any sense. And you were like, why didn't you just leave this thing the way that it was? 1985, they came out with something called the New Coke. Anyone? For absolutely no reason, Coke went and changed the formula on its Coke. Did you drink one of those? Anybody? It tasted like chilled battery acid. Am I right? And everyone in America looked at the can and went all Nancy Kerrigan, right? Why? Why did you mess? We want our old, we want the first Coke back, not the new Coke. Anyone seen that new version of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory with Johnny Depp? What a disgrace. No? I was literally angry for the first three minutes of that movie because I was like, you can't improve on Gene Wilder's version of Willy Wonka. You can't make the Oompa Loompa Doompity Doos any better than they were the first time. Why did you mess with this? Leave that film alone. Did anybody catch that Beowulf movie? It was the one that they did when CGI was a brand new technology. And everybody was like, whoa, CGI, this is awesome. The only character in the movie that they didn't CGI, do you know who it was? It was Angelina Jolie who played that creepy half-naked Grendel's mother. And they said, hey, why didn't you CGI Angelina Jolie? And you know what the producer said? You can't improve on Angelina Jolie. We put the real camera on the real girl and we said, we're not going to mess with that. No technology is going to improve the beauty of this character. We didn't have to CGI her. She was fine the way that she was. That was not the case 
with the first covenant. Something was wrong there. The arrangement was not faultless. It wasn't working. Okay, so you read that and you go, okay, what was wrong with it? What was wrong with it? And then we got these words. For he finds fault with them. He finds fault with them. And right away you go, okay, I see. The problem with the first covenant was the people that the covenant was made with, not necessarily with the covenant itself. A couple years ago, Grace bought a fancy pants can opener at one of those pampered chef parties, and she went out for the day, and I was home alone, so I was like, all right, tuna fish for lunch. And I grabbed this can opener. 20 minutes I was messing with this thing, trying to get it to open this can of tuna fish. So I called her, and I was like, this pampered chef thing is busted. It won't even open a can of tuna fish. She's like, it works. You're just doing it wrong. She gets home. She pulls in. She takes the can out of my hands. She grabs the can opener. Watch this. It's going to blow your mind. She turns it sideways. And it hooks right on, and she opens the can, and she shoves it at me like, you loser. <laughs> the can opener was not the problem. I was the problem. That's this right here. The, the first covenant was good. The problem was not the covenant. It was the people who the covenant was made with. The law was good, and it was clear, but the people just wouldn't and couldn't keep the law And because of that, he says these words. The days are coming when I will establish a new covenant. Everybody say it in there? With the house of Israel, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand out of Egypt. Okay, so this helps us. This is the prophet Jeremiah speaking these words. And he says, hey, there's a new covenant coming. And it is not going to function like the older covenant that God made with his people when he brought them out of Egypt. So you've seen the, money, the movie, right? God walked his people through the Red Sea. They landed in the wilderness, and he made a covenant with them at the foot of Sinai Mountain. It's called a lot of different things. It's got a lot of different names, so we call it the Mosaic Covenant. Why? Because Moses was the mediator. We call it the Sinaitic Covenant. Why? Because it happened at the foot of Mount Sinai. We call it the Law. Why? Because Torah is the Hebrew word for the covenant that, the, that God made with his people. Whatever you want to call it, Moses gives them this law. These Ten Commandments are at the heart of it, right? And where were those Ten Commandments written? They were externally written on stone. And Moses shows the people the law, and he says, here's God's covenant with you. Do this, and you shall live. That's the older covenant. Do this, and you shall live. Blessings come when you render obedience, and not blessings come if you don't render obedience. And what did the people say to Moses, Exodus 24? We're in. They said it like this. All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. We will be obedient. Those were the terms of the older covenant. 
What happened from Sinai on? Amy read it to us. Here it is. They did not continue in my covenant and show I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. They did not continue in my covenant. Pretty much sums up a thousand years of church history. (laughs) Read through your Old Testament from the book of Exodus all the way through the exile. And it's like Groundhog Day, right? Just, or a Beatles song. It's the same song every time you hear it, just over and over again. Here's God's law. The people look at it. They see it. And then they don't do it. And so God, justice, judges them. Then they cry out for mercy. And the cycle starts over again. It's a broken record, spinning. Has anybody else been exhausted reading devotionally through the Older Covenant in your Bible. It's exhausting. Like, here we go again, the same thing. It's like being a Cleveland Browns fan. It's the same thing over and over again. So tiring and depressing. This is the big idea we started with. Get it in your head. Here it is. This covenant is not working. If I said, time out, next three hours, read 100 pages of the Older Covenant, one of the things you would say to me is, Hey, Cruz, this covenant's not working. It's not working. We need a better covenant built on better promises. And in the gospel, that is what you get. Verse 10 says it like this. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. You're supposed to read that and go, oh, wait, 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 wait. You're telling me that there's a different arrangement coming? Please tell me a different arrangement is going to be what my hopes are built in. A new covenant is coming like your ears should be pinned back right now. Oh, man. And the answer is yes. It's a covenant built on better promises. Let's feel those together. The first one was this. I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. Okay. 2011, we bought this building. Does anybody remember what this thing looked like when we got here? Yeah? What color were the walls? Pink. How many walls were pink? All of them. It was like some kind of sale at Benjamin Moore, right? We got one color today, light pink. You want it or not, we'll take it. We're going to do them all light pink. What color were the floors? Purple rugs, like that's what we needed. More pink on this wall. Let's put purple on the floors and let's cover up these wood floors with purple rugs. Oh my goodness. Anyway, downstairs there's these two bathrooms and they, they put them in just before we got here and the radiators don't get into the bathrooms so they put electric heaters in these two bathrooms we came down there we looked at them we tested them and we said you know what we can't turn these things on because no one will turn them off it'll spend jesus's money on electricity that we don't need Um, little kids will touch them the kids are going to be down there they'll they'll burn their hands you could start a fire and we never want the fire department to ever come to this building ever so we got out a label maker And in the capital letters on the label maker, we typed up this sign, this law. Do not ever turn this on. 
You can go downstairs and see it right now. This is what it says. Do not ever turn this on. External words on the radiator, but you can't miss it. It's a good law. The other day I walked into that bathroom. It was like walking into a sauna at LA Fitness. It was like Dallas, you know, in your backyard, Kelsey, in July. That's what this was like. Just foam, just smoking. I just started sweating. Now, I don't know who it was. <laughs> but some evil, rebellious, wicked seven-miler. There's no security cameras down there. Walked in there and looked at that sign and said, I don't care about that external law. I'm using this toilet, and the seat is cold. My buns are cold. I don't care if we waste electricity. I don't care if it starts a fire. I don't care about the precious little fingers of these precious little kids. I am not pooping in the cold. And they turned that thing on, and they left it on for three days. All right, here's my question. Was the sign the problem? Is a solution, we got to put up a better sign, bigger letters, maybe some color, some red warnings, like a little kid with permanent damage on his hands, put a poster. Do we need to translate that? Do we need to have a shock when you go touch that? Like, is, is any external thing going to help us with whoever that was in this room? No, none of that's going to help. We need the heart of that person to change from self-interest to other interests. That is the better promise of the gospel. God knew the solution was not to restate the law more clearly. I'll write it in color this time. He knew that the solution was not to vaporize the law. That's what secular postmodern Bostonians want. Hey, let's just, I'll do whatever I want. No, no, the solution was not vaporize the law. The solution was for God to give you the desire, a new capacity to say yes to the goodness of his law. Where was the first covenant written? External, stone, label makers, parchment. Where is the new covenant written? It's like God took a pen and said, I'm going to change your heart and I'm going to own that thing and I'm going to write my laws in here. Now we know from Romans 2 that this does not mean that this is the first time any of us will know what is right or wrong. From birth, all of us know good from evil instinctively because we're created in the image of God. This promise is not about knowledge. This promise is about desire, agreement, new affections, new eyes to see the goodness of the law of God. In the gospel, God changes us in here. He takes the reality of the law and he pens it on our souls. That's called conviction. And this is that season in your life where your entire universe just begins to get flipped upside down. Jesus was not beautiful. And now he is. The law of God was handcuffs. And now it's freedom. What God called you to was ugly and wrong and intolerant and undesirable. But now all of a sudden, it is beautiful and good and true and you want it. That's the only way we could be right with God. And in the new covenant, 
he promises, I'm going to change your heart. Without that internal work of the Spirit, we're hopeless. He says it like this, just the same thing another way. Um, can you go back one? All right, no, put it back on that wrap. Okay, this was John Bunyan rapping. Oh, I missed it in here. This is John Bunyan's way of saying this to you. Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly, and then it gives us wings. Red Bull stole that from John Bunyan in the gospel. Can you believe it? I will write the laws in your hearts. I'm going to change you so that you might be new. Then he says it the same exact way, just different words. And here's another promise. They shall not teach each one his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. I love this. In the gospel era, we don't have to cajole each other. We don't have to plead with each other. We don't have to work to convince each other anymore. God gives us eyes to see. Ever go to the museum with like an art fanatic, you know, and they take you over to one of those pictures and there's a picture, but then there's a picture in the back of the picture, you know, like it's in there. And you're standing there like this and they're going, can you see it? Do you see it? It's right there. Look, look, do you see it? And you're going, I don't see it. I can't see it. I can't believe they charged me money to come in here and look at this thing. And then all of a sudden your eyes, whatever happens there, and you can see the, the other thing that's in that picture. And then once you see it, it's something that you cannot unsee. That is the grace of God to you in the gospel. The, the, something happens in us that we don't need anybody outside of us to say, why don't you see it? Why can't you see it? He says, I'm going to give you new eyes. You're going to see something that you will never unsee forever. Eternal life is hanging with people who can all see the glory of God in the gospel and can never unsee it again. Without that hope, we're dead trying to see something that we can't see. John Frederick was the first worship leader in the life of our church, and he was not a Christian when he began to play music for us. And we had some long, hard conversations about what that meant, and we just loved him to death. We gospeled him, gospeled him, gospeled him, gospeled him. And he couldn't see, he couldn't see, he couldn't see, he couldn't see. And then because God has a hilarious sense of humor, he did not come to faith in Christ in a seven-mile road church service. He was in a van in Georgia. That's in southern United States. I know we don't know anything below D.C., but it's down there. In a Barnes & Noble parking lot. And he saw Jesus. And he called me at like 11.30. And if you know me, I'm asleep at like 10.15 at the latest. So I'm like, and uh, in his Bostonian slang, he's like, Cruz, I'm in a parking lot in Barnes & Noble in Georgia. You're right, you're right. You're right about Jesus. I was like, kid, I'm sleeping. Tell me when you get back home. <laughs> so we go to DePetro's, and I'm a talker, and I had this pizza lunch, and I said two words. You know Why? John saw Jesus, and I didn't have to cajole him anymore. 
And these are the exact words that he said to me. I'll never forget them. He said, listen, you don't have to make excuses for me anymore. Because he felt like I was always like apologizing with you. This kid with the Ramones t-shirt is dropping F-bombs. Why is he playing music for us? His, you don't have to apologize for me anymore, is this promise of the gospel. All who belong to Christ will see. They will know. Never had to say a word to John again about the glory of God in the gospel. He knows it. That's the work that God does in the covenant of grace. All right, one more. And this is the one that everything is anchored to. I will be merciful toward their iniquities. And I will remember their sins no more. When Jesus inaugurated the new covenant at the Last Supper with his disciples, what did he say to them when he had the cup? He said, this is the new covenant in my blood. This is the new covenant in my blood. Do you feel that? He was not inaugurating another covenant of law. Hey, you do this and you will live. He was inaugurating a covenant of grace. I am about to do something for you and you will live. Unlike Moses, who threw blood on the people at Mount Sinai, right? He said, your blood is on you, confirming their oath, we will obey. Jesus said, I'm about to pour out my blood to confirm my oath. Everybody feel the difference? And so in the gospel, God is always and only disposed toward us in mercy and in grace. Now that doesn't mean he doesn't discipline you doesn't mean that he doesn't, that we don't reap what we sow. It means that we are secure covenantally. We are secure, not on our performance, but on Christ's. And that means the full and the final forgiveness of our sins. Now, you know there's a sense in which God doesn't forget anything, right? He is omniscient. He knows everything beginning to end, all of it. He knows. He knows. What this promise says is it's as if he forgets his sins, our sins, when it comes to condemning us for them. It's like they just never happened because of Jesus. Anybody ever read The Count of Monte Cristo? Yeah? Terrifying book, wasn't it? No? I, it was like a horror story to me. I don't know about you. So the big idea, I'll spoil it for you if you haven't read it. This good guy gets betrayed by these three men and he nearly dies because of it and he's in prison for years. And uh, they think he's dead. But he finds this treasure on this secret island and uh, 20 years or something goes by and he never forgets. He never forgets what they did to him. And he is plotting and planning to get them back. And they think he's long dead and they're like in the clear And the story is about how he takes them out, I mean ruthlessly, one by one by one. Have you ever met someone like that? Long elephant memory. Tap their side of their head if you do them wrong and they go, this is a vault, bro. I don't forget. The whole rest of your life, you're like looking over your shoulder because you don't know when you're going to run into them. 
and have to pay the piper? Why is the new covenant so much better than the first? Please don't miss this. The piper has been paid. There is no more piper. There's no looking over our shoulder. Oh man, is God going to remember that? Does he still have a record of what I did there? In 10 years, if I screw up, am I like still on probation here before Jesus? Your sins are not coming back around to get you in the gospel. They are covered by the perfect sacrifice of Christ. Hear the voice of God to you today in the gospel. It is not him thundering on Sinai, do this and you will live. It is him thundering from Calvary. Christ has done this and you can live. I forgive you fully and finally because of Jesus. That gospel works for sinners. All right, so let's land the plane. Here's the question. Which covenant are you living in right now? Which one of these is like your home with God? Is it a covenant of works and performance? I do this and I live? Whatever that may be. Remember for the readers of this book of Hebrews, it would have been the Mosaic covenant that they would have said, no, we got we to do that and then we will live and it's going to work for us. We're not going to be like a thousand years before us. We can do this. Is it the legalisms and the expectations of like a blue state suburb? Is that your righteousness that you're working toward? You know the Ten Commandments of Massachusetts, Melrose, right? Thou shalt not use plastic bags is the newest one. All these things that we do to be righteous on our own merit. Are you pretending that you can earn your righteousness on your own? That house doesn't work. It doesn't work. Or is it the grace of the gospel? Have you come empty-handed, freely confessing, Jesus, this older way of relating just doesn't work for me. I am so bad. I have no hope without grace. That is the posture of the new and better covenant. And that is the one that we invite you to. Let's pray. forgive pride in this room if we thought we can do it we can keep the older covenant we're good enough people look we recycle we haven't committed sin a b and c i pray that you would forgive us that ridiculousness for the rest of us who know we're not good enough we marvel and we rejoice in the grace of god and the hope that's held out there for us You've written your law on our hearts. You've changed us from the inside. Nobody needs to tell us anymore. We've been forgiven fully and finally and forever in Christ. Thank you. And we are yours now. We are all in on whatever you call us to. But I pray we would never fade from this living hope, this anchor of the grace of God in Christ. Hear my prayer for that and answer, I pray. Amen.